Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Good afternoon and welcome to Engage for Success Radio show number 451, Conflict and Conflict Resolution in the Workplace, amongst other things. We're going to be talking about how people can do better and feel better at work and uh, bearing in mind I'm presenting this from my caravan in a field in Scotland somewhere, we're going to be touching on hybrid working as well. So I'm Jo Dodds, your host for today. I'm an engagement consultant working within the Engage Success core team. The Engage Success movement is an inclusive movement committed to the idea that there is a better way to work by releasing more of the capability and potential of people at work. We spread the word about employee engagement and shine a light on good practice, inspiring people and workplaces to thrive. And we're widely supported across the UK, involving the public, private and third sectors. If you go to our website, which is engagesuccess.org, you can use the link at the bottom to join our newsletter list and all our social media links are there too. Our guest today is Liz Kislik, who's a management consultant and executive coach, Harvard Business Review and Forbes contributor and TEDx speaker. Welcome, Liz. Great to have you with me today. Joe, I wish I was in the field with you. I'm just in my office. <laughs> yes, as we have discussed, it has been raining here today and you've got nice weather, so maybe not. If you'd like to start by telling us a bit about who you are and what you do, and then we can go from there. Oh, great. Happy to. So my work is mostly in management consulting, and I do a lot of executive coaching as part of that. I work with all kinds of businesses, although uh, for the last few years, I've been focusing to a very great extent on uh, family-owned businesses and privately held businesses. They're so interesting, and given the title of the show, there are all kinds of conflicts that come up and many different ways to help people see that they can get through them, figure out what to do, and and create a better environment. Lovely. And, um, yeah, I guess, as you say, the, the family business bit particularly can present so many uh, challenges unrelated to the business, <laughs> I would guess, before you even start with the business. That is true, although... You know, whatever the family is experiencing, if they're involved in the business, it ends up in the business in some way or other, yeah. even if it's just the interpersonal tensions that are sort of hanging around. So in many ways, the idea of dealing with the whole human being is a very valuable one. Mm -hmm. I worked for a family business actually Oh, I don't know, 25 years ago, and uh, it was it was a group of organisations with some very random ones thrown in as family members had sort of been brought into the fold. So we had car dealership groups and uh, crash repair centres, and we also had a dental instruments manufacturing business and a care home. <laughs> it was it was a big mix. But uh, I remember at the time reading stats that said something like family businesses didn't often get past third or fourth generation and we I think we we're on our fifth generation at that stage and it was going quite well so we, you know it's quite <laughs> quite impressive is, is that is that true is that a, a fair fact yes 
Yes, yes. Uh, fifth generation <laughs> is fantastic. The statistics, I don't remember what they are, but it's tiny. It's minuscule to get past the third generation. And wow, it's unfortunate because so many of these businesses could either be built up or maintain, you know, a pretty lovely steady state, which also takes a tremendous of, amount of work, not to think that steady state is easy in any way. But when mm. there's a good product or service, uh, often in a family environment, there's a great deal of care for customers. And then what's important mm -hmm. is to make sure that there's plenty of care for employees, including those who are not family, and that the organization functions in a straightforward and steady kind of way. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And is there, are there some sort of sort of things that hold true, sort of rules, if you like, if you've if you've got a family business in terms of sort of bringing people in? Because I always imagine that that some of the challenges can be that you have people who don't have much experience but they happen to be related and therefore they they get the job <laughs> and then in other situations you hear of people who've gone off and you know learned elsewhere and and you know sort of done a whole if you like apprenticeship before they come into the business um i, I guess both things must happen what, what, what have you seen you're right about both dynamics one of the things that works very well is if family members intern in the business when they're young, mm -hmm. uh, have summer jobs there mm -hmm. where they're not so threatening to everybody else and they're learning something about it. And then if they're required to actually get outside experience before they come back in. So that's one model that can be really valuable because then they diversify the things that they know about and they have other experiences that they can bring to bear. It is amazing mm -hmm. sometimes, mm -hmm. though, how much people can learn when they put their minds to it, even though they have no background in it. And there's real value in the commitment that many people have to the family business. And I guess in some ways that's the most important, because if you have an intelligent person who's very committed, they can learn most of what they need if they have enough time and if they have mentorship um, and sometimes some outside education or an external person to turn to. Um, whereas somebody who is there just because they're family and gets no feedback and has no external view sometimes can be a danger to the business. And, and that can sometimes be one of the causes why businesses don't last. Uh, I'm thinking of one particular organization where the father had established the business and the son cared desperately about pleasing the father, but not at all about being in the business. And right. yeah. it really came to a bad end, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a bit about dealing with conflict in those situations but how do you work with those organizations what what are some of the the ways that uh, that you're able to help them to resolve conflict so people often get in touch with me not when they're first having a fight about something but when 
honestly, when they're kind of fed up. You know, they have been going mm-hmm. around and around the same kind of problem or variations on the same argument about, oh, strategy or how they should take care of something. And the same kind of views, lack of resolution, and slowdowns in the actual business have been happening for a while, and they just can't see their way out of it. That's the most likely time Mm -hmm. when I'm going to hear from them. And the things that I do then, assuming we feel like we'll be a good match, that's always crucial, um, is I try to interview all the relevant players. And if there are large work groups, I interview samples from those work groups because it's never enough to have the perspective of just a couple of leaders. When you only have the perspective Mm -hmm. of a couple of people, you can actually end up being a part of their argument with them. What's so important is to bring in all the data from a broader swath of the people in the organization and be able to show all the different views that are present and the negative impacts that the conflict or the lack of a decision are having on the people, the ability to progress, sometimes on customers themselves. At that point, when people really understand what the damage is, sometimes they're more willing to come to the table with somewhat more open minds. And then you can talk about Mm -hmm. different ways to move forward from there. Mm -hmm. And to sort of bring in our second topic of the day, day, but but this can be a lot harder to do when you've got remote working and you've got hybrid working. Uh, And I guess that's something that's becoming more and more um, you know, more and more popular and, and something that you're probably having to deal with much more than you were sort of two or three years ago. Tell us a bit about how that sort of developed from your perspective. So in the beginning, it was very interesting when we started doing all these video conferences and when meetings were all on video. In a strange way, it seemed to go into two different directions at once. In some places, there was actually less conflict because people were focused more on their deliverables, what they needed to accomplish, and weren't having so much conversation in the break room, you know, the meeting before the meeting and the meeting after the meeting. There was less of that. Mm -hmm. And so when you have more real work happening, Sometimes there's less room for conflict if people are just doing the things they're supposed to be doing. But the other Mm -hmm. thing that then started to happen after a while is sometimes you would get worse conflict because people would not actually convey their opinions to each other. Because they wouldn't run into each other, you had to schedule a meeting, they would sort of hold on to their negative feelings or their concerns, not share them so much, and sometimes build them up much more in their heads than was healthy for anybody. So Mm -hmm. it really depends on the specific situation 
and the actual players in the business. I, I hesitate to make a very broad brush statement. Can do, you can still use Zoom or, or some other video tool to do the kinds of interviewing that I talked about before, and you can bring people together to discuss it. The one thing that really does not work as well is using a whiteboard to help focus people. You can share your screen, of mm -hmm. course, but it's clunky. And the ease of just drawing things out, that's really much less in an online environment. Yeah. And I do feel the loss of that. And if you or anybody else knows a truly good application, I would be grateful to hear about it. Uh-huh. Well, I do have a resource, um, a lady called Penny Pullen, who uh, teaches, um, or in fact, wrote a book on hybrid working um, just after 9-11, so way before any of the uh, pandemic um, moved to uh, to hybrid working. And she's just recently uh, re-published um, that book and, and has um, is also somebody who teaches visual drawing while you're training people so i feel sure that she's probably got some resources there so i'd suggest penny pullen as a as a that's um, great so uh, <laughs> so let's let's talk um a bit more about um that whole concept then that we've got we've got people working um in all sorts of places now and we you know we've said i'm i'm in a field <laughs> in the middle of nowhere um and i'm you know working three days a week with various clients um from from here and uh it's something that i've done for a long time and i i find um online sort of rapport building quite was quite easy but um, many people don't and you know i know in the organization one of the organizations i work with probably a third of our people are in the office a lot and the rest of us aren't um because it's sort of personal style um and and choice uh is that what you you've been saying or and I guess it depends on the organization. The one I work with is very, you know, interested in flexible working and, and able to, to, to trust people to do that, if you like. But we see a lot in the news, don't we, of organizations expecting everyone to be back in the office and all that sort of thing and, and everything in between. But what are you seeing um, over that side of the pond, as it were? <laughs> I'm seeing everything you described. Um, and <laughs> some businesses sort of cycle in and out. I have clients where they're all working from home, although some of them are hoping for the day when they can go back into the office, but they're not ready for it yet. Yeah. I have some where everybody's back in, but there is flexibility so that, you know, if people come down with COVID or someone in their family is ill or it's more convenient, it's recognized that it's normal to work from home or remotely from time to time, although it isn't structured as the primary way to work. Um, and as you said, I've got folks where a major chunk of people are in the office and in the office every day, and other people try mm -hmm. not to come in at all. Some of it seems to, to vary a little bit. It, and again, this is organization by organization. It is hard to draw very gross generalizations. <clears throat> but many new employees feel the lack mm. of connection that you often get being in the office 
where there's more of an opportunity to have casual contact, where the cup of coffee together feels more casual and less scheduled, um, where it would be helpful to them also to observe more senior people at work and see how it's done. Some of that is mm-hmm. harder to do remotely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've certainly seen um, our tendency, to be, as you say, the, the newer people and also the younger people and the more yep. senior people and the older people are the ones that are more likely to be working from home. And I, and I guess you can, you know, draw all sorts of conclusions from that. But um, I guess some of it is, you know, some of us have been there, seen it, done it. <laughs> Don't need to be in the office in the same way as when you first start a job, particularly in London. You know, central London, it's quite an exciting place to be. And I guess um, that sort of has a, a bearing as well. So, so what can organisations do to engage people in those situations? Because we've got all sorts of different scenarios and all sorts of different needs. Yep. So I want to add just as a little bit of counter that in quite a number of organizations, very senior people do seem to like to be back in the office. And that's particularly Mm -hmm. true if they haven't gotten used to the fact can do their jobs perfectly well without someone looking over their shoulder. There there are still quite a number of leaders Mm -hmm who have trouble believing that work is happening if they're not all together doing it. It just doesn't Mm -hmm. feel right to them. And so much of this, I think, is a function of habits that we've built up over time. Uh, And it is often those leaders who have the most trouble connecting in the online environment because they're just not as comfortable with it. I don't know your experience. Um, I certainly have clients and see people who are not directly my client necessarily, but see them in meetings who have not yet figured out or taken the trouble to learn how to position their faces in front of the camera so you're not just getting, you know, from their chin to their collarbone or from their (laughs) brows up. And... That, to me, table stakes, you know, making sure you're appropriately visible the same way you would in the office um, to be looking at someone as opposed to turning away from them when you're speaking. And so this is actually Mm -hmm. a kind of segue into engagement. What are the things that we get from connecting with each other? And what is the kind of energy and attention it takes And how do we transfer that energy and attention in a meaningful way in a different environment? So the idea of we're actually here together, well, we're not that here together if we can't see each other. And this immediately triggers a kind of difference of opinion. And I have at least three opinions on this subject myself. So differences of opinion is good. about cameras on or off. Um, So here in the States, there's a lot of discussion about when cameras off should be encouraged, should be permitted, et cetera. And it's very valuable to have cameras off if somebody's not feeling well, if there are things going on 
in the remote environment, particularly if it's a home environment that you don't wish to share on screen, there are all kinds of reasons that it's legitimate, should be acceptable, um, and should not need much discussion. Having said that, though, yep. it is actually harder to connect with someone you can't see if you can see some people mm. and not others. And this is one of the very tricky yeah. things because there are all kinds of studies now that show that women and people of color are the most likely to need to have their cameras off and therefore are the least likely, <clears throat> pardon me, to feel as connected as other people do and for others to feel connected to them. And unfortunately, it can add to a kind of habit of othering that makes it mm. difficult to engage fully and to treat everybody as the full human being they are. Mm. Yeah, interesting. It's, it's interesting, isn't it, how sort of, I guess it's the same with most things in, in the world, never mind just business, that um, something happens, something changes, something seems to be an improvement, but then there's always a load of downsides to it as well. It's never a sort of, uh, sort of linear improvement, you know, where, where some people are, thinking that uh, remote working is great and they've got these opportunities, you know, as, as you said. Well, in fact, one of the the, some of the people who have had greater opportunities, I think, through the pandemic have been people with disabilities who've had um, challenges getting into offices and, and um, you know, I don't know, who, who have um, issues where they have to have a, a regular nap and things like that. There's been, you know, reporting that there's a lot more opportunity for people in those situations than there have been. And yet, as you've just pointed out, we've got yet other situations that are, are you know, are, are worse for some people as well. Exactly so. The unexpected ramifications of any of these choices always go in more than one direction. And, you know, we're going to be sorting this out, mm -hmm. Joe, for years, I think. But I think your point about the nap, which would be good for a lot of people I can think of, who think of themselves as fully abled, but could use a little rest and come back fresher, you know? Um, mm -hmm. I think that leads to a very good example of part of how you can create connection. And that's through careful planning of time, time frames, time slots. It has been a real advantage to many people not to have to commute. For some, yeah. that means they've extended their work day. For others, it means they can have time in the middle. All kinds of permutations are possible. If the work group focuses on particular times of day or week where everybody can agree and commit to being present, barring, of course, something that comes up. You know, if a person's sick, a person's sick. And we still have to remember that even though so many of us now think we're comfortable working sick from home. But mm -hmm. if we make the general assumption that everybody who's healthy is going to be present two or three times a week for anywhere from 15 minutes to, say, 90 minutes, there are very significant things you can do in those time frames to make sure 
that everybody's still on the same page, that the leaders and managers know how everyone on their team is and what they need to be able to function well. And that's a very important part of connection. And for people to be able to share their experiences, what they're learning through their work, what they're learning in terms of how they can work better. Maybe customers are behaving differently because so many of them are now operating remotely too. There are all kinds of new things that are worth sharing. And if the idea is that we share the exciting bits, we share the new bits, we share the challenging bits, and we're always glad to be with each other. And if that kind of philosophy actually takes hold, then it doesn't feel like so much of a chore to have to sign on. It can actually be sort of exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. The one of the organisations I work with, we have a, a, a three times a week, thirty-minute uh, slot for everyone to to go onto Zoom, and uh, it, it is interesting just in that short period of time how much you can you know develop relationships, keep in touch, and and feel really connected for sure. I also want to speak about the virtue of phone or voice only. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I remember the old days when we always talked on the phone. (laughs) And we did quite well with it. You know, conference calls were tough Mm. because you were afraid of interrupting other people and some people got left out. But for one-on-ones, the phone can be great. Sometimes you can tell more from a voice than you can from the way someone presenting themselves visually, particularly given the time delay that happens with the computer-based visual. So for any group leader to actually check in with their people with some frequency by phone and chat with them about how they are the way a relative or a good friend would do, not that they should be a good friend. The leader is the leader. But with that kind Mm -hmm. of personal connection, willingness, single focus, those kinds of things, to learn what's really going on with people and the kind of experiences they're having, both at work and in their personal lives that might affect their work. And then to be Mm -hmm. responsive to those experiences. That kind of connection can build trust, builds a higher kind of personal and social regard for others and it Mm -hmm. uh, widens what you might think of as people's window of tolerance for what then has to happen Mm -hmm. in the course of the regular work tasks and activities because you give the benefit of the doubt to someone you trust who you know cares about you in the way you might not if the relationship is fully perfunctory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, Liz. Uh, This has been great. We've literally got two minutes left. One top tip for people to take away in terms of uh, hybrid working and and or complex. (laughs) No pressure. (laughs) Okay. Um, Here's something that just comes to mind based on a client call I had this morning. 
whenever something seems stressful or wrong, instead of jumping on it as being wrong or hugging it to yourself as being stressful and something you have to fret over, wonder about it. Ask yourself, I wonder, I wonder why that person just said that thing. I wonder why this problem is happening. And give yourself time to come up with some alternative explanations instead of just grabbing the first thing that comes to mind. It'll give you a better platform for making decisions about what you want to do next, and you are more likely to give others the benefit of the doubt. Lovely. That's a great tip to end on. Thank you very much, Liz. Thanks for your time today. It's been a pleasure. To let you know, next week I'm back again, and I have Dan Hill, who's an author, speaker, and podcast host. And we're going to be talking about how to ensure greater motivation, productivity, and staff retention. So I look forward to joining you again next week. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.